Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Michael O'Neill to my Alex Neal. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. We're currently sat in a hotel room. It's uh, an interesting weekend so far up in Manchester. Yeah, we've gone on a stag do to Manchester. We'll point out we're both in the same hotel, yet are recording this in separate <laughs> hotel rooms because we haven't... When we first started this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, we would do it with one microphone and the levels sounded awful because Justin mm-hmm. mumbles and yep. I talk too loud. So mm-hmm. when the pandemic came along, it was actually quite convenient because it meant that we could go into different, um, do it from different locations and do it with different microphones. So that's why, despite us being in the same place at the same time, we're still recording in separate rooms because we've become too comfortable with this arrangement, Justin. But I don't know about you, I'm extraordinarily hungover. I'm all right. I'm 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 quite bright. I you know I'm one of those that will drink water at a certain point. Some may call me boring, given my past um, my past stories of I don't know getting to derby games late, for example. But I don't like hangovers, and I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah, I wish I had some water before going to bed. I've got to say because I'm certainly feeling it this morning, and we've got a bottomless brunch coming up very soon very bougie of us but i'm not looking forward to that whatsoever but this is the number one championship specific podcast the second tier welcome along ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us wherever you are we're going to go through all the games from the championship this past weekend we're on a stag do but we don't care we're still here to talk championship football with you ladies and gentlemen so we'll go through all the games from the past weekend of course in the news we'll talk about alex neil michael o'neill sunderland stoke All of that, we'll have a big dig down into that as well as all the other news from the past few days in the Championship. And then we'll finish off with a Wii game right at the end. Um, Worth mentioning as well, we haven't got guests on the show this week because me and Justin are just recording. um, We're doing it old school, baby. We're doing doing just me and Justin. Make it as easy as possible for us. That too. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's start with Sunderland, shall we, Justin? It's been a hectic 24 hours in the lead up to their game at home to Norwich, and they ended up losing one nil thanks to a late goal from Josh Sargent. But considering the circumstances, Sunderland actually played very well here, didn't they? Well, yeah. I don't know whether they were disrupted, um, given how late the news came about and how how um, about Alex Neil. So I don't know how disrupted they were in their prep. I know that they said that they did everything as normal, so it was right up until the day before, obviously, that the situation started to arise. But Sunderland put in a really good performance here. And again, it's one of those performances where you think, actually, this is a very good squad. It's a very good unit. And they are they are in a very good place tactically as well. Um, whether that carries on with Alex Neil or without, I don't know. But if you look at the balance of the game, Sunderland dominated the first half, arguably should have been at least 1 or 2 nil up. Ross Stewart and Ellis Sims both hit the woodwork as well. And it was just one of those days in front of goal because that's the only thing I let them down here. It was a really good performance. They just couldn't find the back of the net. Yeah, two incredible goal-saving blocks by Grant Hanley um, were were the main thing <laughs> stopping Sunderland from getting anything on the score sheet as well as the woodwork because otherwise they were really, really good. And I think in a strange way, Alex Neal's departure becoming so late in the week may have actually been a good thing because I think yeah. by that point, they'd have had all the normal training. They'd prepared for this game mm. as normal. And then by the time his sacking came around, they'd probably have already done the preparation for this game. Obviously, it would have taken a hit when um, Alex Neal told the players he was leaving and the players were apparently very upset about that. But nonetheless, they've just gone on to do business as normal. And the coaching staff, I think it was Martin Cannon, wasn't it, who's mm-hmm. the, who was Alex Neal's assistant head coach, would have just said... Right, just do what you've been planning to do all week. So, judging from this game, I think some people may have thought that Alex Neal leaving might lead to a big downturn in Sunderland's fortunes and maybe see them end up in a relegation battle. But I don't see that happening, not just because of this performance, but everything that I've seen so far. Sunderland are a good side, aren't they? Some very good players there. Ross Stewart's been fantastic so far. Ellis Sims has been a really good signing. Jack Clark, not someone I expected to be a... Maybe not even starting eleven for Sunderland this season, but he's been fantastic. So so far, I wouldn't have any worries about Sunderland, you know, being dragged into some sort of relegation battle this season. Um, 
it's it's obviously a hit losing Alex Neil, especially after the fantastic hit work he's done in the past year or so. But I think now they'll just settle for what they were already hoping to settle for anyway, which was, you know, bottom half finish. No, I, I, I completely agree. I don't think they will be anywhere near a relegation battle. I think, as you said, this is this is just a bump in the road. Um, and they've got a really good squad and they're well structured off the pitch, which is why I think they have probably had quite a lot of teams in the championship. They're building to something. They're not... They're not in the middle of a process. They are, well, in, in a way they are, but they're not, sorry, not at the start of the process, I should say, where someone like Stoke City are. And that's not a criticism of Stoke, but they're just in two completely different places as clubs. And I think that's something they're in a much better, much better state off the pitch. Um, and arguably um, pushing, will be pushing uh, higher this season, I think. Well, I think we should move on from Sunderland at this point, Justin, <laughs> because we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about them in this episode, aren't we? Let's talk Norwich, because... It's all about that man again, Josh Sargent. Four goals in his last three games. He is on fire, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's doing he's doing really well. And again, I, I thought he'd take a little bit more time to adjust to the championship because it is a difficult league. Um, but he's he's doing really well. And this goal, what this goal showed was he got into a really good position in the six-yard box, which is where you want your goal scorers to be. You want them to be between the posts and being on the end of those those cutbacks from from the byline and he was there and it was um a really good move from Norwich in a in a game that I don't particularly think they played very well um which is considering that they've they they've played poorer this season and uh, played better sorry and not got results but they it wasn't the best performance but this shows the quality that Norwich have got and Sargent getting into that position again showed a different um uh function to his game that that is yeah a really promising really promising trait well, this form has been part of Norwich's resurgence, hasn't it? You could say it's Norwich's resurgent um, oh because they've been brilliant <laughs> since he's coming to the side, hasn't he? And four goals in his last three games. He's getting in the right places, but he's also made goals himself. You go back to the, uh, the last home game when um, he won the ball on the halfway line against Millwall and then it ended up in the back of the net with him getting on the end of it. So he's a fantastic player, isn't he? And as long as he keeps playing as well as he does, then Norwich are only going to keep flying up the table because they were poor at the start of the season, mm. weren't they? It yeah. rightly led to questions about Dean Smith's form. Now, they're looking good. Um, and it is Norwich's third away win since the start of last season, Justin, which I think says a lot about how much of a how much of a bugger that's been for them. But it's good to get that monkey off their back, isn't it? They didn't play particularly well, so I don't think the monkey's completely off their back yet, but it's certainly hanging on by its fingertips. Um, so, yeah, really, really good win for Norwich, even though they didn't play particularly well. But let's go to Alex Neal's destination, Justin Stoke. They won 1-0 away at Blackburn. They have their impending new manager sat in the stands for this game. Do you think Alex Neal would have been happy with what he signed from his soon-to-be new side performance? Yeah, I think um, I think it was a good away performance. It was just one of those games where you're going away from home, as I say, and you've got to dig deep, out of possession. They were They were quite solid. They were quite structured. I think they only had thirty percent possession, which you know, you, they, well, Stoke have got a lot of possession-based players, so for them to not want the ball as much, I think, is um, yeah, is, is quite interesting. They went with a four-three-three, I think, as well, which again is is quite an interesting um, interesting formation, given that they've been married to that three-five-two under under Michael O'Neill. So yeah, they, they they were solid, they were they were well structured, and they were difficult to break down, and I think that's a big big plus. Um, and that's something that Alex Neal's going to bring in as well. So I think he would have been impressed, but there's certainly a lot of work that needs to be done. Well, Alex Neal likes a 4-3-3, doesn't he? He mm. has been quite committed to playing 4-3-3 in the past, but Sunderland, he's been playing more of a three at the back. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what he goes with. Maybe he said to Dean Holden, who was in charge for this game, do you fancy going 4-3-3 just so I can see um, what how that works with this team. I don't know how much of an influence he would have had so far, but I imagine he would have had a chat with the Dane Holden prior to the game. But no, uh, Stoke dominated in the first half, had to hang on towards the end of the game. A brilliant goal by Lewis Baker. He has got a foot like a traction engine. Not the first time he's scored from distance. He is, 
yeah, he likes having a pot from distance and he's very good at doing it. We'll talk more about Stoke's future in the news, Justin, because similar to Stunderland, it's not going to be the last time we mention them in this particular show. But this was the first game that Blackburn registered more than one expected goals, which says a lot about how poor they've been in terms of creating chances. But it was better here. The problem now is making the most of those chances when they come. And that's proving quite difficult, isn't it, Justin? It's now three losses on the bounce with no goals scored. Yeah, it's, I know I, I, I talk about building habits, especially at this start of the season. For So for Blackburn to not create chances but score, yeah, it's it's good to convert chances. But when they get to a point where... Um, they do start creating chances, but it's on the back of a um, it's on the back of a, a run where they aren't scoring. It's not you know it's, it's not it's not a good habit. And, and strikers when they go quite a you know, fair amount of time without scoring goals, you start to overthink things. I think that's the the cliche that most most former forwards talk about. Um, but I do think this was a, a much more promising performance. They were quite effective with the ball. They got into really good areas. They were just misfiring, and I think. If they have more games like this, as opposed to those games where they win 1-0 but create one chance, I think this is a much better place to be, even though they lost the game. It's a much better place to be than it is you know, winning games 1-0, not creating anything. Yeah, I could not agree more, Justin. As long as they keep playing like this, Blackburn will get points on the board. Um, the issue is, as we say, putting away those chances, because the issue, well, you've got Ben Brereton-Diaz at the moment, who looks like a man who wants to move, um, because he's when when this interest has really heated up in the past couple of weeks, his performances have dipped quite dramatically. So I'm not sure if he'll um, whether this is the end of his days in the Blackburn shirt, but his performances say that he's hoping that it is. Bradley Dow was playing up front here. We know Bradley Dak's not a front man. But the issue is they haven't really got many other options at the moment because they've Sam Gallagher's out with an injury. I imagine they'd have probably liked to have gone with him up top, even though he's played more as a winger in recent years. Maybe this is something that Blackburn need to strengthen before the window closes, getting in another striker. Because with Brereton Diaz going, um, they need someone who's going to be clinical in front of goal because he has been the man who has made the most of chances when they've came. Um, quite often, it's been a lack of chances coming and he's been putting them away. Um despite um, them being few and far between. So, yeah, having a decent hitman up front who can put away those chances, I think will have to be on the shopping list for Blackburn, especially if Brereton Diaz does go. If he stays, then they're going to have to just make the most of him for, you know, the final few months that he's going to be in a Blackburn shirt because he's obviously going to be heading out the door in the next year or so anyway. Um but whether the move or the transfer gossip is going to affect him or not, I don't, I don't know, Justin. I think something has to change for Blackburn up top. But in terms of creating chances, that's fine. And that's a good thing for Blackburn. Reading, the top of the league, Justin. <laughs> it's after they won 1-0 away at Millwall. Um, I can't believe I'm saying those words. Reading dominated the first half, though, didn't they? Then they were forced to ground out the game in the second half. It was a really good performance from them, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And credit to Reading... And, and credit to Paul Lint because if you if you well, I mean if you compare their home form and away form their, their away form has been terrible their home form has been really good so it's about it's been about transferring those home performances into into the away into the away games and as I say this was a really really structured defensive well really structured good defensive performance and one where you've got to stand tall away at Millwall you've got to you've got to be be, be counted and that's what Paul Lint is trying to instill into this team and I think this away performance. This one nil win epitomises the attitude that Reading need to approach with every game because the backs are up against the wall. If you look at how long it's taken the Nabisar transfer, the Nabisar move to to get through the door, it's taken a long time. He's been at the club for a while, as far as I know, and obviously they've got to move players on to bring him in. Um, so to be in that situation is is difficult. But he's come in, Nabisar's come in, put in a good defensive performance and scored the win as well. And it just highlights that there is, there is quality in this Reading side and to put in performances like this consistently where they don't allow opposition to create chances, where they keep opposition at bay, they will get more results like this. Well, that brings me nicely on to Reading being top of the league, Justin. Who on earth expected this after six <laughs> games? I'll tell you who, nobody. And anybody who said they did is an absolute liar. Um, what do you think then, Justin, with Reading's performances so far and does that alter their you know expectations for the season <laughs> um it's difficult to say i don't want to i don't want to um throw water on this 
burning fire they have of a, of a season so far. Um, it, it will be hard to sustain because they do have a small squad. I mean, at the moment they've they've you know don't have too many injuries. They've got players coming back into the side, um, but it's it's a good place to be. And getting points on the board this early on in the season will only stand them in good stead. And as I say, if they build foundations like this performance, if they build on upon these foundations, they will be fine this season because it, that's what it's all about. It's about putting in those performances that are going to stand you in good stead throughout the season because you can look back and say, right. We did a really good job away at Millwall. We've got to have that same attitude, that same desire, that same tactical genius that Paul Ince has, has put in, um, and, and replicate it. It's a difficult thing to do, and it, as I say, they've got a they've got a small squad. But for me, if Reading putting more performances like that, then they can um, they can sustain at least a lower mid table finish, and that's a good thing. That's a that's a that's a big thing for Reading, I think. Tactical genius, Paul Ince, never thought <laughs> hear that in the same sentence. Um, well, the, the thing is with Reading, they've defended really well so far, haven't they? And that's mm. the most promising thing for me. I, I think I was saying it in last week's episode. Reading were, oh, they were abysmal at the back, weren't they, last season? And they've looked a completely different side so far. And that's a very, very good thing because that was the main thing that cost them so many points last season and I was worried that it was going to carry on into this season but we haven't seen that so far so they've outperformed all expectations and it's been really really good but I don't think Reading fans should get carried away just yet it's a long old season and if you ask me right now I would still expect Reading to be in a relegation battle simply for the fact that I think they've got one of the weakest squads in the division however Things have gone really well so far, not just in terms of results, but performances too. These aren't snatch and grab wins, Justin. They're well fought out victories. And if Reading continue to play like this, they won't be in a relegation battle. And that'll be down to the belief that Paul Ince has instilled in this side. Yeah. That he's managed to get them, you know, outworking teams in games. He's got he's given them this, you know, us against them kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a good thing to you know get into the minds of players and it can win you a lot of points as the season goes on so you've got to say a big well done for the start but they have got to build on it haven't they they can't just say yeah. well we had a good start um and then it's cost us they've got to make sure that you know a 1-0 win away at millwall also happens in you know a couple of months time as well and it keeps happening of course they're not going to maintain the form that they've um showed so far but if they can still get wins on the board on a consistent mm-hmm. basis then Reading will be absolutely fine um, also worth mentioning Paul Ince went to Reading Festival after this game Alex Ray is it Alex Ray's assistant I yeah, think it right is, yeah. into, he really wanted to see Arctic Monkeys um, <laughs> the thought of Paul Ince bouncing around to I bet you look good on the dance floor is a sight that I really wish I saw but there we go Um Two wins from their opening six for Millwall, Justin. It's strange because I hadn't really registered Millwall having a particularly bad start, but here we are. Yeah, and I think what's more frustrating is how lacklustre they were with the ball against Reading. Um, the fact that they were only, to, only able to create one good chance, I think, is testament to Reading's discipline in and out of possession, um, but also just how lack of not a lack of imagination just that just, they're just missing that creative spark that got them into good areas and that's something that Jed Wallace provided last season um, and obviously they've still got to to factor in the, the likes of Fleming who who's yet to, to, to get going in a Milwaukee shirt he's yet to play in a Milwaukee shirt I don't think he's not really um, had too much opportunity yet um, but there are still you know there are still positives to to come out for 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 Millwall. Um, the fact that they've got to get these players into the team, um, I think it is one of them. So yeah, it's not been the best start, but I think they 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 have there've been some really good moments and some poor moments as well, which I think will start to balance out for Millwall, which has done in the past. Let's go over to Hall, Justin, where an Oscar Estupanan hat-trick helped them win 3-2 at home to Coventry. He's on seven goals now, top goal scorer at the time of recording. And that's not bad when I had him at 66-1 to be top goal scorer <laughs> at the start of the season. Um, but moving on, we had reports that this guy could be a very, very good player in the Championship, didn't we? It just depended on how he settled. And so far, he's settled extremely well and his performances have been very, very good. 
Yeah, absolutely spot on. Not only is build-up play great, okay, his hat-trick here wasn't the sexiest hat-trick in the world. They were... it, was the, it was the shittest <laughs> hat-trick I've ever seen. But, you know, you've you got to get on the end of them, haven't you? Well, exactly. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to make my point around. He was quickest to all of those loose balls, um, which is something that a lot of strikers in this league do not have. Um, it's a trait that you need to, to have to thrive as a forward in any league. If you are quicker and sharper than defenders, you are going to get to those loose balls and you're going to tap them in. The second goal, the, the second and third goal that Estupinan scored epitomised that. The first one was quite interesting because he just threw himself at a shot, which was quite a skill in itself. Um, but yeah, the, the second, the latter two goals, yeah, okay, they, they're not fantastic finishes, but he's quick, he's sharp, and I don't think I've seen any other forward be that quick or sharp to loose balls in the box and I think that needs to be that needs to be um yeah needs to be shouted about. Well he's getting in those areas, isn't he? And yeah. you will score a healthy number of goals over forty six games in a season if you are getting in those areas. It's a lot simpler to say than it is to actually do. Because mm-hmm. when you've got the movement off the ball that a Stupinan has, um it's a skill in itself and some strikers have it, some don't, and he's clearly one of those who has got it. And that's the reason he scored 15 goals in the Portuguese top flight last season. It's a very good record and we knew it was all just about him settling here for him to replicate that. And it's he's taken to it like a duck to water so far, hasn't he? Being in the right place at the right time, brilliant. Finishing, brilliant. As long as that continues and he's getting in those areas, then I won't be surprised to see him score even more goals as the season goes on. And as long as he keeps getting that service as well, which is obviously an important thing too. But... Hall third in the table, Justin. Just the one loss so far. And we were talking about the Hall revolution in <laughs> pre-season, weren't we, Justin? So far, it's gone very well, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a really good start. 100% start at home as well this season, which I think is quite interesting because Arvalad's home record last season was quite poor. His away record was actually pretty decent. Um, so again, it's just about getting those performances balanced out. Um, but I do think their performances need to improve as a group, as a collective, I think they are um, to sustain a playoff push anyway. Cov created, Coventry created a really good number of a cha- uh, chances, but Matt Ingram for me in goal has been a bit busy, um, and it's not a criticism, but I think it's an area that Arvladi will look to try and um, evolve over the next few weeks because, as I say, Matt Ingram has been the busiest keeper in the league so far in terms of the amount of saves he's had to make. So Hull, out of possession, probably need to sharpen up and be as effective as they are with the ball. Interesting. This is the first time Coventry have played in two weeks, Justin, because of the pitch palaver. Do you think maybe it had an impact here? Well, you look at the mistakes they made for the goals that they, they conceded, I think it did have an impact. It felt like a, one of those games that is the game, it's the friendly game just before the season starts where you want to get the mistakes out of the way so you start the season quite sharp. Um, and it just felt like that um, for, for Coventry and you could tell that they were just not sharp uh, as, as as Hull were. You look at Estupinan, for example, and how sharp and quick he was to those loose balls. If Coventry had more games behind them and were a lot sharper in the in the mind, would they have got to those loose balls as quick as Estupinan? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but you could you could tell that they hadn't played for a, for a few weeks. But there are positives. They they created a good number of chances, as I was saying, with the, Matt Ingram the amount of saves he had to he, he had to make. And I thought Casey Palmer looked good as well and and quite sharp. Um, but defensively, they were a mess, and it, and it showed. And I think that's just down to lack of games. Watford lost for the first time this season. They were beaten 3-2 at home to QPR. The big talking point from this game was the decision right at the end when Ido Kiembe scored a screamer. A beautiful goal, it's got to be said, but it was ruled out for offside. It's because Ishmael Assar was deemed to be offside in the build-up. It was a strange one because he was offside. Um, It took me a good while to figure out what the referee was actually calling offside for here, but it did become obvious in the end. The sticking point for me, Justin, is the amount of time it took for the whistle to go. Well, exactly. I think that's down to the the officials trying to make up their mind and obviously trying to see it through if they got to the right decision in the end. But one of the things you've got to say is, can VAR resolve that a lot quicker? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and and certainly it would give clarity. It just it just highlights the the need for support for officials in the league. That's all I think because we've had a couple of contentious decisions that I'm sure we'll go go on to, especially in the West Brom Huddersfield game that VAR will will sort out quite quickly. And it's the same here. VAR sorts out those those situations quite quickly, and it's as simple as that, really. I get it. You love VAR. 
not going to marry him. <laughs> um, this was a good game, though, actually. Jao Pedro and Ishmael Asar both started, despite continuing to be linked with moves away. Pedro got on the score sheet, actually. I think Watford can count themselves a bit unlucky here, not just with the decisions, but also in terms of how well they played, because they haven't played brilliantly in previous games. But this was one where they actually played all right and didn't get a result, but that's just the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? Just QPR's second win of the season, perhaps a bit fortunate, and Mick Beale admitted they rode their luck a bit, but Chair was great, Willock was very good, definitely plenty of positives here. Yeah, definitely, and I think that the, the midfield pivot of Samfield and Stefan Johansson works quite well. I think Samfield's been very good, especially with his ball-winning capabilities. It surprised me because of what I've always seen him as a as a person who dictates play, but out of possession he was very good here and Johansson played well as well, as I said. Um, I think the wing-backs worked quite well, Laird and Paul were, were, were great. So, yeah, plenty of positives there for, for, for Mick Beale and QPR. It's just about moulding it together and having a sustained performance throughout the 90 minutes because there were moments where they got it quite fortunate at the times when they scored. Yeah, definitely. Burnley got their first win since the opening day in brilliant fashion, winning 5-1 away at Wigan. I was saying last week that Burnley had been better than their results suggested and this was a very good win. I do feel like perhaps the scoreline was a bit generous. They only managed eight shots and scored from five of them. Nonetheless, a good performance from Burnley who were just brutal in front of goal here, weren't they? Um, Someone who started the season like a house on fire for them is someone you probably wouldn't expect considering the signings they've made. And that's Josh Brownhill, Justin. We all know what he's about, isn't he? He's, you know, he's all about industry in the middle of the park. Mm -hmm. He works his socks off and loves getting in the faces of opposition players. But he's also added the goal-scoring aspect to his name this season. Four goals and he's loving life under Vincent Company so far, isn't he? Well, every every team needs a player, a number eight in their midfield, like Josh Brownhill, who will do the dirty work off the ball. He will be robust. He will be, as you said, the industry in that. He'll be the engine as well going forwards. Um, and I think him playing under Lee Johnson, where he's, Lee Johnson's teams were okay, a bit streaky, but they played good football. And I think him him being in that, um, I say growing up, and um, being developed in that uh, system has, has helped him take to Vincent Company's style of play quite quickly. And as I say, you need that number eight in, in, in your team. And he's added goals, which is a massive, massive plus because f- from, from the forwards especially, I don't think Burnley have impressed that much. They need a number nine to, to get on the score sheet more often than Rodriguez scored in this game. But Brownhill getting on the score sheet and being that threat from midfield adds a, a different threat to, to, to Burnley's game. Well, he's... When, when Burnley came down, I think everyone was looking at the signings that they made and going, well, they seriously mean business. But people would have also looked at, you know, the likes of McNeil going out the door mm-hmm. um, and others. But forgetting that you've got players like Josh Brownhill, who's been playing week in, week out in the Premier League for the past couple of years. And there's a reason why he's been doing that, because he's actually a bloody good player. So you've got yourselves one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the division who's scoring goals is taken to Vincent Company's system really, really well um, and it's getting the best out of it. And when you have someone like that um, adding to the goals as well, like you say, Justin, um, the need for a goal-scoring number nine who's you know finding the back of the net on a regular basis isn't as desperate. Um, but he's a fantastic player, isn't he? I think we all knew that. It's just quite easy to forget sometimes because it's Josh Brownhill and he's not the most fashionable player on earth but he's a really good player um, as we say I don't think Wigan were particularly deserving of a 5-1 drubbing Justin they played quite well so far this season haven't they didn't play particularly badly here either it was just one of those games where Burnley have been very wasteful in front of goal not created too many chances and haven't been converting them either and it just happened in one game for them similar to, to West Brom and Hall last week uh, Hall bounced back obviously this week with a winner I think Wigan will do the same because as you said it wasn't a poor performance by any means they created a, a good number of chances and were quite were quite good out of, uh, out of possession and with the quality and the movement in that Burnley team for them to limit them to just eight shots I think is actually quite quite an impressive performance the scoreline will be disappointing and that'll be a bit uphill for, for Wigan fans and um, and Liam Richardson but I think the performances of Callum Lang and Will Keane for example will, will give them a lot of hope that yeah that they, they, they will be fine because they, those two played well um, in this game it's just unfortunate that the spanking came the way it did because it, it wasn't that sort of game 
No, it really wasn't. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the rest of the games from this weekend. And, of course, get to the news about Alex Neal, Sunderland, Stoke, all that. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Middlesbrough have finally won. They beat Swansea 2-1 at home. They've been playing really well all season, haven't they? So it's not a surprise for Borough to finally chalk up three points on the board. And they played well again here, didn't they? Yeah, I think the, the weird thing was it's probably not probably wasn't as good as performance as other games. Um, but they did the job uh, over Swansea and perhaps not as one-sided as, as I imagined in midweek. I think I said it'll be 3 or 4-0. Um, could have got like that, but I think if you look at the goals that Borough scored, for example, they were they were textbook as to what Chris Wilder wants from his team. The the Riley McGree goal, for example, carving through the middle was as as smoothly as they did, and then the second goal was just peak Wilder ball where the the cutbacks from the byline and you got Matt Crooks uh, arriving late, and it's a really good indicator that things are moving in the right direction for Borough. It's just about uh, yeah, it's just about getting the first win off the. Off the board, and you mentioned the, uh, the the getting the monkey off your back analogy earlier, and I think this is the same thing for Borough. Get that first win, I think they'll start to topple after this. Well, Matt Clark was thrown straight into the side here. They played a back three of Clark, Lenahan, and McNair, which, if that is the back three for <laughs> the rest of the season, Justin, then I struggle to see Middlesbrough conceding as many goals as they have done so far. But I mean, the team as a whole. We were talking about it in the week, weren't we, Justin, when they signed Matt Clark. You look at the team that started this game, bar Duncan Watmore starting up front, Rodrigo Muniz came off the bench here, um, and he will start more games. But you look at the team that played here, you can't pick many weaknesses in this Borough team, Justin. It is a very, very, very good team on paper. So if the performances continue to be as good as they have been, um, and you've got this team starting most weeks, then Middlesbrough are going to certainly be looking towards the top end of the table, despite results not going their way so far. Um, As you say, not the best performance that they've had so far this season, um, but still deserving of the win nonetheless. But for Swansea, Justin, it's another loss. It's not going well for Russell Martin's side so far, is it? No, I, I thought they were quite um, relatively poor. I think the chances they had were, were shots from distance and obviously they got into a good area with the penalty, but um, it, it's not quite working out. And I do think that's down to personnel in the side rather than the style of play not, not quite working. Because if you look at if you look at the team that started last season compared to this season, obviously you've got Joel Pirro who's got, you know, 25, well, 20, 20, 20, 25 goal season behind him. Michael Obafemi as well. But I, I think the squad's slightly weaker. Obviously, there's no Flynn Downs in the side. There's there's no functional wing-backs either, which which worries me a lot because that's a, a big, big draw for any team that wants to play a possession style of football. You need to get your wing-backs. You need to make the pitch as wide as possible, but I don't think they've got the right players uh, in that. And I think it's, it, it's showing. It's showing that the, the board need to invest some way to improving the squad for Russell Martin. Otherwise, it's going to be lacklustre and and poor because that's what this performance was it was a lacklustre performance and it's it's telling that the squad is short of numbers well because of injuries Russell Martin's had to revert to four at the back which is not how Russell Martin wants to play he likes playing with wing backs um, but they just can't do it now because of injuries as I say the striking thing for me is you compare the two benches for Middlesbrough and Swansea it's quite a contrast Justin and the strength in depth is a bit of a, it's not a bit of a concern, it's a massive concern for Swansea because, I mean, we're only a few games into the season. Imagine how things, how bad things are going to be when we're talking 20 games into the season. We have got a World Cup in between, but you see my point. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a problem for Swansea. And even though they have got some quality players, they're going to pick up injuries and we've seen that already, haven't they? That's why they need to strengthen, don't they? They need to bring players in, but Russell Martin's admitted it's looking unlikely that that's going to happen. Rotherham 2, Birmingham nil. A very good win for Rotherham here, but we will get on to them, Justin. I think we need to talk about Birmingham City, who 
Started the season quite well in the first couple of games, didn't they? I think I picked him out as one of the the team that surprised me the most. But things (laughs) have really gone downhill now, haven't they? Because they are looking very, very poor all of a sudden. Well, since we said that, so read into that what you will. But (laughs) it's the second tier podcast, (laughs) second tier podcast curse Mm -hmm. at its strongest, isn't it? It is, it is. So we we apologise, but I think it's not just down to us. I think there's a lot of issues at Birmingham that. Uh, are coming to the the surface. You know, if you look at the squad, the squad isn't suited to play three at the back or even four at the back. There's no recognised left back. There's a, a lack of depth with with actual wingers as well. So, what system do you play? What system does Eustace play? I'm I'm, I'm really concerned that the the, the squad. I, I mean, we've talked about the squads being short of numbers with Swansea uh, and, and, and the other sides in the league, but Birmingham's really is short of experience, quality. And, and, and depth, it's 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 quite worrying, um, and obviously with injuries, what do you do? You look at the performance of Troy Deeney here, wasn't the best. I imagine he's on a, a, a fair, you know, a fair amount at the club, similar to Scott Hogan as well. Yeah, I I, I feel sorry for John Eustace, and I feel sorry for the Birmingham fans who who are still in this situation where the clubs clubs in limbo, and they need to not be in limbo to improve their squad, and they can't. It's just it's a terrible terrible situation. It really, really is a terrible, terrible situation. Is John Eustace a good manager? I don't know. Jury's out. But he has been dealt a really, really tough hand here. They've got youngsters in the team. Um, I'm not saying these youngsters aren't good, but I wonder if there's a bit of a case here where they've been thrown in just because there aren't many other options available, quite frankly. Um, Because the squad is just looking really, really poor and it's reflecting into results now. I mean, the striker situation's the biggest concern for me. I mean, Troy Deeney is just looking so far past his best. It's astonishing. It's amazing to think, actually, that when he got relegated with Watford, like two seasons ago, um, that he was being linked with a move back to the Premier League because he just looks a a shadow of the man he used to be. Um, Scott Hogan did all right last season, but he started the season poorly too. It's it's a concern how poor this squad is looking now and how bad they've been playing. I mean, there were reports after the game that there were some very loud words exchanged in the Birmingham dressing room. And we're six games into the season, Justin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Six games. I don't see players coming in through the door. Take over. I don't know what's happening with that at this point. It, it's There's a lot of bad things. There's not much going right for Birmingham, is a better way of putting it, actually. And that's a concern. It's a dire, dire situation at Birmingham City now, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, let's talk rather than though, Justin. We should give them some praise, shouldn't we? They're unbeaten for the start of the season, and they've finally got another three points on the board. Spot on, and I think the thing that's impressed me the most is is how good defensively they've been. They conceded two goals all season, which other, other than Preston um, is the best defensive record in the league. Um, and I think that needs to be needs to be lauded because again we've 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 mentioned in our preseason predictions that Rotherham are always one of those teams that's going to be in the conversation for being in a relegation battle because of that lack of resource, because of that. Um, yeah, bouncing up and down between League One and uh, and the Championship, um, but actually they they've they've st- they've settled into the season quite nicely. Um, they've been quite defensively solid, um, and they've taken their chances when they, they they've needed to. And you've got Richard Wood here, who is you know Billy Sharp levels of of um, st- staying young, um, scoring twice in this game as well, which is again is 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 testament to his professionalism and Rotherham's faith in in the squad that they've got because you know he's gonna, he's going to start quite a few games and. If uh, if Paul Warren's got the faith in in him to to do the business, then that that goes a long way. Um, and again, it's that siege mentality as well that that Paul Lynch needs to instill uh, in Reading. Paul Warren will be doing the same thing with Rotherham. Absolutely, fifth in the table now, Justin. And need to remind you, they've got a game in hand as well. So <laughs> an astonishing start for Rotherham so far. I mean, if they won their game in hand, then they'd be joint top of the, of the table with Reading. Who'd have thought Reading and Rotherham would be joint top of the table after six games of the season? It's really, really amazing. On Friday night, Luton and Sheffield United played out a one-all draw. Um, Justin, you're a big admirer of headers. Carlton Morris, what a header that was. It was it was lovely, wasn't it? And 
goes to show why why um, Luton paid a club record fee for him. It was, I mean, we saw the goal last week that he scored with the step overs and the left foot finish, and then this one, you know, lovely, a lovely flick had a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful goal. And um, yeah, he's he's he's, a, he's, a really, he's just a very good number nine. And I'm surprised more clubs weren't in for him um, because he's he's got that ability to mix his game up, and I think he. he he caused Sheffield United quite a few problems and as I say, he's good with the ball at his feet, he's good in the air, he's got a turn of pace as well and he can finish. He's got the package. Yeah, really, really good player and see, this is a good game, wasn't it? Yeah, spot on. It's, I think it's a decent result for both sides and it. when you've got two teams who rely on a high-pressing, high-energy style of football, you're always going to get a good game out of it and the fact that um, Sheffield United weren't out of the best in the first half, I think in the first five games of the season, they've managed the most shots on target in the league. Didn't even test... Uh, Horvath in the in the Luton goal. I think goes goes to show how how well the game plan was working for Luton. So I think a draw, fair result uh, overall. It was a good performance from both sides in in each half. Yeah, not much too much to complain. It was a good Friday night fixture. Yeah, it really was. I think both sides gave a good account of themselves, and both will be satisfied with the point here. And that's that's always nice, isn't it? <laughs> Huddersfield two, West Brom two. It's that time of the show, ladies and gentlemen, where we've got to talk about the standing of officiating in the championship because, I mean, the, it's, a penalty is clear as day, not given to West Brom here, just in a sly tackle. He's taken all of the man first before getting anything on the ball. I mean, how could you not give that, Justin? Yeah, sorry if you heard any sort of exhaling. I was laughing through my nose because it is just complete disbelief that... <laughs> a tackle like this wasn't a penalty it was it was a stonewall and the referee looked like he had a good position on it as well I've seen um, I've seen grainy footage of fans recording TVs but I've also seen fan footage of West Brom fans behind the goal and every angle I've seen even the grainy footage is, is really obvious and yeah I wasn't in the ground but the fact that I can see it um, through the through the angles I had it was yeah it was a, it was a bad it was a bad one from the referee and what can you do? What can you do? It's 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 frustrating for West Brom, but they gave they gave Huddersfield a head start, and I think that's something that you've got to take away from it as well. It's just becoming a joke now, isn't it? Some of the decisions we're seeing because, I mean, this is if if this happened on Sunday League and it wasn't given, you'd you'd cause a riot because it's just it's just appalling that this hasn't been given. And as you say, every single foot, every single angle that you see it. I don't know how you can't give this as a penalty. I don't know how the referee, what what excuse he would give here for this not being a penalty. So just astonishing. And VAR, whatever, got to do something because it, it is painful that we go on about this every single week. But two good goals um, from Jed Wallace in this game. Tino and Juran scored two as well. One of them was an absolute beauty my lord in terms of striking the ball you don't strike it much cleaner than that so yeah uh, the, the, the referees cause a lot of pain but there was a, a lot of good in this game too and um, there was a great game at Bloomfield Road as Blackpool and Bristol City drew 3-3 just good entertainment here Justin yeah I think Appleton said it could have been 6-6 so you definitely got your money's <laughs> worth if you've travelled up travelled up the M6 from Bristol to, to watch this one yeah it was a it was a top top game of a lot of quality on show as well. If you look at the likes of Josh Bowler and uh, and Corbiano, they completed ten dribbles between them, so they could be a lot of fun this season if if Blackpool keep hold of Josh Bowler. And some of Bristol City's attacking player again was 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 really really positive. So yeah, I think a three three as a neutral, I'd love that. I'd be absolutely fuming if I'm Nigel Pearce because they've they dropped points, but they've got back into the game twice. I think there's a lot of character there. You got to I know we've we've criticised them for for dropping leads. I know they did that in the same here, but as I say. To, to bounce back twice is um is a big plus and Blackpool some of their attacking play again was was really really positive so I can't complain much about this game it was it was yeah a very very good game of football maybe the defending a bit suspect but a, yeah a good game of football yeah Bristol City go up to Blackpool so not only do you you get to watch a brilliant game you get to spend <laughs> bank holiday weekend in Blackpool too so it sounds like a, a great day out if you ask me and finally Preston have drawn nil nil again it's Beyond ridiculous at this point, Justin. This time it was away at Cardiff. Five goalless draws in your first six games. How do we even analyse this at this point, Justin? Well, we got criticism from Preston fans in midweek for the way we broke it down. Um, and I still don't know how to 
judge their season okay defensively they've been fine the, the clean sheets is record is, is fantastic but they're not they're not putting chances away and in this game they didn't create too many either Cardiff were much the better side and were probably a, an experienced striker short of winning the game um, so I think that's more telling here if, if they if the performances start to drop because the performances going forward have been fairly positive they had they have been creating chances but if that starts to drop then you do have to worry about Preston because Obviously, scoring goals isn't not scoring goals isn't ideal, but keeping clean sheets is. But they're second best in these games. That's going to um, pan out not in the way you want it to. Essentially, as a Preston fan. Well, yeah, you're spot on. Even though they had only scored the one goal so far, they were creating chances before. They didn't hit. So it's going to be a worry if that continues into midweek. So they've got to, you know, do a lot better when they um, take on whoever it is in midweek um, because. Obviously, when you're not scoring goals um, and you're not creating chances either, then that's when it becomes a big, big worry, doesn't it? So, mm. yeah, interesting to see how they do in a few days' time. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And we've got a winner in the sack race. Congratulations to Michael O'Neill, who's been sacked by Stoke. And congratulations to Justin Peach for predicting it. Um it's after a start to the season, which saw them win just one of their opening five games. Sunderland boss Alex Neal is set to take over. Uh, a lot to unpack here, Justin. We'll start off with O'Neill sacking first. Do you think it was the right decision? Yes, um, I think it should have gone in the summer. I, I, I don't know why the Stoke hierarchy kept uh, kept him on. I, I know it's, it sounds quite harsh, but um, not only were the, the results poor, but the performances were poor as well. That then transpired the same into pre-season where the performances weren't great which then you know leaked into the season the new season now and I think that's why he's gone not necessarily down to results but the fact that performances just weren't there there was a chopping and change of personnel and formations and when you're doing that this early in the season um yeah that's a major worry so no no surprise to see O'Neill go um just a surprise the fact that he he wasn't he wasn't sacked or resigned straight after the uh, prior season yeah, I, I do somewhat agree with you. If if you're going to do this six games or five games even into um, the season, then why didn't you do it in the summer? I, I don't really see the reasoning behind that particularly. I've always maintained that I think Michael O'Neill's been very unlucky with injuries. I still think that's the case. But Stoke clearly, the Stoke hierarchy clearly are expecting better than what we've seen so far. Understandably, really, when you consider the squad they've got there. So... It's not a surprise. The season's not got off to a great start. Um, it's time to take a gamble. The only thing I'd say is we've seen with managers in the past that Stoke have had since they got relegated to the Championship. Gary Rowett has gone to Millwall and taken them to their best finish in a number of years, something like nearly 20 years, I think, um, to the edge of the playoffs. He's gone on to better things. Nathan Jones, he's doing miracles at Luton, <laughs> taking them to their highest place finish in something like 30 years and got them into the playoffs last season. It would not surprise me to see Michael O'Neill rock up at another championship club and do a fantastic job there. Because he's a good manager, isn't yeah. he? Even though things haven't gone well at Stoke, he is a very good manager. You saw that with what he did with Northern Ireland and you even saw that at times with what he did at Stoke. So I don't think what he's done at Stoke should... Um, be held against him about how good a manager he is. I think there is some sort of a curse at Stoke, which has um, um, been a problem with the past managers. Um, and I think that may have carried over into Michael O'Neill's reign. So, yeah, very good manager. I don't think Stoke fans will um, hold much against him. Um, I think he will go there. Uh, he'll be leaving with a lot of respect from Stoke fans because I think uh, many of them will you know, have a lot of respect for and how the yeah. what the job he did there. Um, well, he's set to be replaced, Justin, by Sunderland boss Alex Neal in what was a very fast-moving few hours on Friday. It's worth mentioning the Netflix cameras were at the training ground while all of this was kicking off. They were filming the first episode of the new series. They must have been absolutely loving life. Did this one catch you by surprise, Justin? Uh, too right. <laughs> Honestly, um, when when I first saw it, I, I just saw a couple of supporters speculating. I, I speculate speculating, and I just thought, oh, it's just supporters being supporters. Press conference has been moved to two p.m. I don't know. I don't see the issue with that. And then 
yeah, different stories started to come out, and obviously the Stoke Stoke thing came out as well. And it's like, yeah, gulp, big, big, um, big size from from Sunderland. So yeah, it did it did catch you by surprise, um, and I am I am surprised mostly by Alex Neal's decision to to want to go to Stoke. And I've mentioned it when analysing the games. I think Sunderland are in a much better place to build upon, build to a uh, a sustained promotion challenge than Stoke. Well, why, why do you think? Why do you think that, Justin? I think the structure off the pitch is is mostly down to it. I think yes, okay. Alex Neal cited quite a few reasons as to why he he's moving to Stoke, and I understand them to an extent. The rolling contract is not ideal, but then Speakman. Uh, Sunderland technical director did say that they offered him a new deal, etc. Um, but I think Sunderland's structure off the pitch and their recruitment this summer tells me that they're in a much better place and much have a have a much better idea of where they're going than Stoke do. Whereas Stoke's recruitment this summer, okay, Mike O'Neill might have had a hand in it, but it's been square pegs round holes, really. Aidan Flint, for example, weird signing. Dwight Gale, really good signing, but then you go and get Liam Delap on loan. And then there's Tyrese Campbell, Jacob Brown, Delap, Dwight Gale as your forward line. It's good, good number of attackers, but it's 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 an imbalance there. It's it's a massive imbalance. Um, so I think Alex Neal's got quite a big job to do at Stoke. So for me, Sunderland signing the likes of Ballard, um, bringing in uh, the uh, the Juco as well, and, and and Sims on loan. I think they're in a much better place to make a sustained promotion challenge going forward than Stoke are, just because they know what they're doing off the pitch and how they're going to get there. Well, I I was, I was surprised as well when it came about. I remember actually on Friday morning <laughs> seeing it and someone asked me, do you think he's going to go? And I said, nah. Um, and then about two <laughs> hours later, I was like, oh, OK, maybe he is then. Um, but I, I didn't know he was on a one-year rolling deal. Um, that explains a lot to me. Because before I was thinking this was a very much a sideways step for Alex. Now, I didn't really see why he was doing it. But if you're on a one-year rolling deal, of course you're going to move if a better contract comes along. Because if things went wrong for whatever reason at Sunderland, they could just sack Alex Neal and he'd miss out on a much bigger payout <laughs> than he would with a longer contract. So when you're on a rolling contract, it doesn't exactly say to the manager, we see you as a long-term option. Now, Sunderland may very well have offered him a new deal, yeah. but when was this? Was this <laughs> as he was driving down towards exactly. Stoke? I don't know. So... I think Sunderland's owners are 100% to blame here. You've got the best manager you've had in six years and you weren't tying him down to a better contract sooner. Ridiculous. I don't know why they didn't do it in the summer. Um, so, yeah, the one-year rolling contract, that speaks volumes to me about why Alex Neal has decided to head off down uh, to Staffordshire. Let's talk Neil's future at Stoke then. Do you think he will be a success? I think he will be. Uh, he's, he's such a good manager at championship level. Um, and I think the reason why Sunderland have been so effective is because Alex Neal's tactics is he can chop and change. You know, we talked about formations earlier. His teams have looked good playing three at the back. His teams have looked good playing four at the back. Um, he's playing two four, He was playing two forwards at, at Sunderland, doing something similar um, with a number 10 at Preston. He played 4-4-2 at Norwich with Bradley Johnson on, on the left of midfield, for example. He scored 15, 16 goals. Um, so for me, Alex Neal can do good with whatever squad he's got. I just think the Stoke squad at the moment is is massively imbalanced. It's going to take him some time to refine it and shape it. But I think given time, I think he will be a success. A success but at the same time, Gary Rowett was a good appointment at the time he was uh, appointed. I think Nathan Jones was a good appointment when, when he was appointed. Same with Michael O'Neill. There's a common there's a common theme here. It's good appointments, but just things not going right for <laughs> whoever's in charge. Yeah, it's interesting because Stoke, for me now, have one of the most well-rounded squads in the division. You've got loads of depth, and the first 11 is very, very good. But obviously, results so far have been very, very poor. Now, Alex Neal is one of the most underrated managers in the division for me. I think he's a fantastic coach, and... You put these two things together, it should all work and it should do very, very well. But as we say, Stoke have got a curse. So <laughs> is it going to work? I don't know. That's the. I, I see no reason why this shouldn't work, but you could have copied and pasted exactly yeah. what we said from the past three appointments. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not... I'm, I, I can't say for sure that it's going to be a success, but it should be, if you see what I mean, Justin. It, it's a yeah. very strange... 
it's a very strange situation at Stoke. So yeah. I think it's a good appointment. It should. I, I can see why Alex Neal's gone there because I think this is a squad that can get promoted. But will it? I don't know. I can't say any more on the matter, <laughs> Justin. Um, it's easy to forget in this whole palaver that, of course, Sunderland are now looking for a manager. Sky Sports have been reporting that Tony Mowbray is the man who's going to be taking over from Alex Neal. And Justin, you're nodding your head in approval. Yeah, listen, I think Tony Mowbray is a good manager. He's, he's left clubs in better places than when he's joined them. You look at Blackburn, for example, who were a League One side when he was appointed, won the league in their first season, which is a difficult thing to do, and became a solid championship club. And for me, Sunderland need to go for a manager who won't be too much of a change. I saw Liam Manning being um, suggested as a uh, as an appointment, whereas I think Liam Manning is a fantastic manager, but I just don't think it's a right fit for Sunderland at this current time because it'll be a complete shake-up in the style of play. Tony Mowbray showed at Blackburn that he can mix the game. they can mix the game up. They can be a possession-based side. They can be a counter-attacking side. Now, I don't think he's as, as good a coach or switched-on tactically as Alex Neal is, but he's along the same lines. Um, and he, he'll be a steady pair of hands for Sunderland in what they need. And what they need right now is a steady pair of hands just to see them through this championship season and build upon it. I don't think a sentence sums up Tony Mowbray more than a steady pair of hands, yeah. does it? Because that's exactly what he is. <laughs> you look at the job he did with Blackburn, really good job. Took them from League One to kind of near the edge of the playoffs. And I think if Sunderland want to make that transition, Tony Mowbray's the ideal man. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's a really steady appointment. He won't get them promoted, I don't think, but he can certainly get you to the dance and get you in the top half. And that's a good thing for Sunderland to have. I think that's exactly what they need. And he will improve players as well. You look at the players that have been coached by him over the last five or six years at Blackburn and how, how much they've improved. Ben Barrington Diaz, there's a really interesting article on what he you know how he worked with, with Ben Barrington Diaz. And it's not just down to his chilly call-up or his changing of the name. It's down to Tony Mowbray's coaching that's improved him. Bradley Dack became a scintillating player before his ACL injuries. Um, yeah, so I think that's a really big plus as well, is the fact that he, he, he brings players through the academy, beds them into the first team and improves them. That's a massive, massive thing for Sunderland right now. Let's move on to transfers, Justin. We'll just fly through these. Matt Clark is officially signed for Middlesbrough now. We spoke about that on Thursday. You can get our thoughts on that move in the preview show episode. Cyrus Christie has joined Hull. He's been a free agent since being released by Fulham and moves on a two-year deal. I like this one, Justin. Cyrus Christie, very much in the bracket of very good championship player, nothing more, nothing less. Ian Pervader has joined Blackpool on loan from Leeds for the season. Justin is looking around in bemusement. I'm guessing he didn't know that happened. <laughs> Naby Sarr has moved to Reading. The defender's been a free agent since his contract expired at Huddersfield. Good start, scored this weekend. Move has been on the cards for many, many weeks <laughs> because for some reason it's not gone through. We'll just say the craziest thing is he signed a four-year deal mm-hmm. and he's 29. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a handy player to have for the season, but a four-year deal, wow. Um, Reading have also let George Puskas leave on loan. He's gone to Genoa in Italy. Continues to be an absolutely atrocious move when he initially signed for them. Um, QPR have signed Leon Balogun on a free. The 34-year-old defender left Rangers at the end of last season. Cardiff have brought in Everton defender Niels Nkuku on loan. He's a left-back, so... One can assume he's covered for Jamalou Collins, who's been ruled out for the season. Sunderland have signed winger Jurison Bennett from Costa Rican side C.S. Herodiano. The 18-year-old made his international debut for the country last year. Justin is a keen viewer of the Costa Rican league and is nodding his head in approval at that <laughs> move. And away from transfers, the EFL has given the go-ahead for home games to be played again at the Coventry Building Society Arena. Independent sports turf experts say the pitch is safe again. I mean, how do you get that as a job? Um, yeah. It's after three home games had to be postponed in the league because of the state of the pitch after the Commonwealth Games and concerts over the summer. Meanwhile, one of those games is now being rearranged. The home game against Wigan will take place on Tuesday, the 8th of November. And finally, West Brom striker Daryl DK has revealed an interesting story on his TikTok. <laughs> have you seen this, Justin? I have, yes. Um, we've all done it. Have we? Um, <laughs> he's realised that for the past eight months since moving back to England... He's been using dishwasher tablets to wash his clothes. He's been using finished Powerball 
Quantum and says he thought his washing machine was just crap and admits he's an idiot. God bless you, Daryl. Right, Justin, let's do some polls. Just grabbing my phone. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter. Just want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. The first question we gave the listeners was this, Justin. Reading a top of the league, where will they end up? Relegation battle, bottom half, mid-table or playoff challenge? I give them the benefit of doubt, say bottom half. I would still go relegation battle. I'm not getting carried away, I've got to say. 41% of people said mid-table, which is interesting. 34% said bottom half. 15% said relegation battle. 10% said playoff challenge. I will point out, teams have started very well in the past and still ended up getting relegated. It doesn't take (laughs) much for a downturn to happen. Um, Who will score more goals this season, Oscar Estupinan or Josh Sargent? Estupinan. I'd probably go with Stupinan too. And the listeners agree with us, Justin. 58% of people said Stupinan, 42% said Sergeant. And finally, when you eat something with a jacket potato, what do you call it? Filling or a topping? I don't know. It's not a filling, is it? The potato is the filling, logically. Um, Well, 66% of people said filling, Justin. I don't know what I'd call it. I'd just say I'll have a jacket potato with cheese please or a jacket potato with beans now because I like beans yeah. I, suppose, so. I suppose it is a topping but obviously people still call it a filling which is interesting um, right with us having no guests this week I thought we'd mix it up with a little game of Scott High or Ryan Low Justin it's essentially higher or lower I'll give Justin eight numbers and he's got to tell me whether the number is higher or lower than the one before um, what would you consider a good score here Justin out of eight I mean, not in the usual surroundings, a little bit mixed up, away from home, as you say, a bit hungover. I'd be happy to get three, I think. <laughs> Setting those <laughs> expectations very low. So your first number is five. Higher or lower, the number of England caps for Watford, Watford midfielder Tom Cleverley. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than five? Well, there's an international career that passed me by. Um, I think it's Ryan Lowe. Justin, he's got eight. he's got 13 England caps. What? Tom Cleverley has got 13 England caps. It blew my mind when I saw this. Uh, his last one was in 2013. Um, and I think he made all of those in the space of a year, which is astonishing. Okay. Wow. Um, I think the England team has certainly changed uh, in that time, hasn't it? So that's zero out of one for Justin Peach so far. Good start. So your new number's 13. The cost in pounds of a West Bromwich Albion tape measure from the official West Brom shop. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than 13? You can get a tape measure for like four quid. It's got to be Ryan Lowe. Oh, if anyone's paying more than £13 for a tape measure, sort yourself out. It's £12. Still um, sort yourself out. Yes, £12 for a tape measure. I'm not sure what the going rate is, but that seems a bit dear, doesn't it? Uh, So you got one out of two so far, Justin. Um, Your new number is 12. Your next question is, the number of appearances made by Edgar Davids for Crystal Palace, Scott High or Ryan Lowe than 12? I think he played quite a few games. I'm going to go Scott High. I'm going to say he played like 20 games for them. He made seven appearances. Um, He left in November after signing in August. So, yeah, seven appearances. Uh, So your new number is seven. You've got one out of three so far, Justin. Next up is the number of stadiums which have hosted a Championship League game with a bigger capacity than 35,000. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than seven? That's tough. Um Especially when you don't have too much time to think, because if you could think for like 15 seconds, you could get them all. So I'm just going to make a split decision and say Scott High. It's Ryan Lowe. There have been six. Um, they are in size order. St. James's Park, the Stadium of Light, Phillip Park, Hillsborough, Ellen Road and Upton Park. So you have got one out... <laughs> One out of four so far, Justin. This is going extraordinarily well. Your new number is six. To the nearest million, the transfer record, a championship club has paid for a goalkeeper. I'm looking for the number of millions uh, for this one. So if you think it's six million, you say six. Um, Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than six? Oh, that's a tough one. I'll say Ryan Lowe. It's Scott High. West Brom paid six and a half million for Sam Johnston oh, in 2018. Okay. So the answer is seven. Um, one out of five for Justin Peach. Um, maybe uh, maybe your expectations weren't set low mm-hmm. enough, Justin. 
Um, the number of clubs Britta Sambalonga has played for is your new one. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than seven? <laughs> Including loan clubs? Yes. Scott High. <laughs> Without a doubt. Um, he's played for eight. I'm not going to read them out for you. You just have to believe me. Um, so your new number is eight. You've got two remaining, Justin. You've got two out of six, I think. Um, next up is the most shots by an individual player in a single game this season prior to this weekend. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than eight? Oh, God. Oh, it's got to be Ryan Lowe. That's an obscene amount. Colin Grant managed seven shots against Watford in West Brom's second game of the season, so you're spot on. Uh, three out of seven for you, Justin. Your final one to try and go half, get, try, try and get 50% uh, of uh, the answers on this, is the most goals Connor Salmon has scored in a single league season in English football. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe than seven? I'm pretty sure he's hit nine um, for, for Derby, so I'm going to go Scott High. Than seven. Yes. He scored eight goals in 45 games for Derby in the 2012-13 season. He doesn't get talked enough about on this show for me because he has such a remarkable career. Um, <laughs> so you managed to get four out of eight, Justin. Are you quite happy with that? I exceeded expectations, so I'm buzzing. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Justin Peach is buzzing. He's also very hungover, as am I. And we shall call it a day for us on the Second Tier podcast this weekend. Thank you for listening to this. It's been a long episode. I can only apologise. Maybe Justin Peach and I have been rambling a bit much in our hungover haze. Um, but we'll be back again on Thursday to talk about midweek games in the Championship. So, of course, we look forward to seeing you then. So this has been the Second Tier podcast. We look forward to seeing you again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>